0: Today, our guest is Nick Espinette. Nick is a multifamily real estate investor with experience as a real estate coach, asset manager, and key principal. He also has a background as a small business owner and is experienced with managing physical therapy teams. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Nick, and getting more into your background and your journey in real estate. So welcome to the show.
1: Elaine, thanks for having me. I'm excited to visit with you today also.
0: So, Nick, I would love to start off by getting a little bit more into your background, if you can please share, and how you got started in real estate and why you decided to get into real estate.
1: uh, real estate journey, my wife and I were looking for something different to do with our retirement funds, and we started down the path of uh, thinking we were going to buy single-family homes and do fix and flips and some long-term holds for rentals. But as we... The more research we did, we kept coming across mentions of single family syndication. I'm not saying it's multifamily syndications. And so we started kind of down that rabbit hole and we could you know, just by what we were studying and reading, seeing that something that everyday people could do, it wasn't just large REITs or um, different funds buying apartments. With the syndication method, people could come together. You can't be a, a no job type situation, but with a fair amount of money, not a tremendous amount, but if you had some savings, you could start in the syndication business. So we came across a mentor. A couple, we shopped, kind of re, did some research on that, and then attended a, a workshop and joined that real estate investment group. And within, you know, so at first, I kind of went slow. And then once I got started with a little less than two years, was able to um, syndicate my first deal, which was a 100 unit property. So you know, the very first investment property that I bought was a 100 unit property, never, other than buying my two personal residents. So that was actually only the third piece of real estate I bought. And the first two were houses I lived in.
0: Oh, wow. So can we talk a little bit more about that first property that you bought the 100 unit, you jumped from the single family, and then you uh, you joined a group, and then you got into your first 100 unit property. And so some people might see that as like a huge hurdle to get past, be able to break into the multifamily business. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to find that deal and um, walk us through uh, the steps that you took?
1: Sure. So, uh, through the education, part of the group that I was involved, still I'm involved with, uh, part of the training is learning how to meet brokers and getting out and making contact with brokers and establishing yourself as a serious buyer. And part of that is finding somebody. You know, our first deal, we partnered with another investor who, had, I mean, another syndicator that had already, I think at the time, had five properties syndicated. So, he partnered with us uh, on the first deal. So, that gave us more credibility being part of the group that had already closed uh, multiple deals i think gave credibility and you know finding the deal it was getting those broker relationships plus getting on their email list and that's where deals would come to us through email or through the broker and then we would underwrite it and if then once if the numbers were close or you know looked favorable we went and toured it we probably toured oh well, i would think three or four with this broker he was a secondary markets guy, which their uh, brokerage team covers DFW. And then they had a couple of guys that did all the um, uh, secondary markets within Texas. So we got to know that broker touring other properties. And then we dialed in our um, offer and ended up, uh, we won. And the, uh, is that how we got the deal? So yeah, just through relationships with the brokers and making contact, staying um, in touch with them every once in a while and, you know, and and meeting them at places
0: and so for you, so it sounded like this was in Dallas, Fort Worth. I've lost
1: the sound. Yeah, it was. We, I live in Fort Worth, so we were mostly looking in the area, but our property that we got was in Abilene, which is about two hours west of DFW. So um, it was in one of the secondary markets.
0: And so for this deal, did you purchase it on your own, or and then in terms of like the raising the capital and everything like that, or did you partner with other people as well?
1: It was a syndication. There were three uh, sponsors that came together, and then we syndicated. We have Forty-three investors. We had a minimum investment of twenty-five thousand dollars to come into the deal. Maybe it's thirty-three. I don't remember the exact number, but so we syndicated. We raised a million and a half, just under a million and a half dollars, to make the purchase. So, you, so we formed the LLC, and then had a private placement memorandum, and, and the the investors buy a portion of that, and so they each own a portion. At that time, in uh, late seventeen, and we closed in eighteen. The um, you know our returns were looking. We were projecting um, 100% return to investors in five years with an average cash flow. I want to say 11 or 12%. I believe now that deals we're underwriting now we're looking for 75, 85% cash flow. I mean 75, 85% total return to investors and in a something north of 8% on cash flow, eight, nine percent cash flow average over a five-year hold.
0: Got it. And so for that first deal, raising capital, you raised a little over a million dollars for that. Was it the first time that you were actually raising capital or did you have experience prior to that?
1: First time. And we raised that. We had soft commitments in 24 hours, had a waiting list within 24 hours. And a lot of that was our the more experienced uh, sponsor we brought on, but also a, a big part of it too was through the real estate investment group. It has several hundred people that Are all most of them are trying to syndicate deals, or all of them are trying to syndicate or invest passively? So, and we had a captive audience, and then a few family and friends that were outside of the group too that came in.
0: Got it. And so then, can you talk a little bit like how did you decide that this was the right group for you? We had attended
1: another one, and it seemed a lot more siloed or segmented. Like people were more, I don't know, clicked. But after attending this, I felt like the people that were there were very open to helping out. And it's gone above and beyond what I expected. Still a very abundance mindset group where people will give you recommendation of. If if you're going after a deal against somebody else in the group, kind of hold your cards close to the vest at that time. But any other time, everybody's very open to saying, hey, try this. This is something that worked for us. You can try, see if it'll work for you on on trying to get a property. So. And seeing it it was more focused on multifamily, where one of the other groups I looked at, they had a single family group and a multifamily group. And so they were kind of spread and it just had seemed like a lot more rules than this, the one I went with did.
0: And so then after that first deal that you guys had found the 100 units, what did you do afterwards?
1: We did about six months work on getting it stabilized. Once it was running Smooth. You know, we, we felt like everything was in place. We started looking at another deal on underwriting, and you know, we closed our second deal, and that was in February of eighteen. We closed another deal, only five miles away from the first one, in December of twenty eighteen, and it was a hundred and twenty four unit property. And it was Abilene's not the whole town. You know, the diameter across it's probably five six miles. So this one's on the west side of town, and the other one's on the eastern side of the town. So we worked just kind of washed rents and repeat is, you know, just kind of doing the same thing with the second property.
0: And so this second property, was that found through the same broker as the first one?
1: It was a different one, just, but it's in the same town. But once being in Abilene now have four properties there. So when a deal comes out, we are able to one to move faster because we know the market. I mean, we kind of know what the rents will be where somebody else that's not familiar is going to have to establish a right relationship, start with a, Is this a good area? We know the areas that we would invest in. A property management company can uh, give us comps pretty quick. And we have scale. So we may be able to have a, one, our property management fee is going to be lower. Having four properties within a um, a tight area, we're going to pay less per our percent on our property management fee um we can share employees if need be i mean they are different entities but for properties one and a half maintenance guys and it's hard to get a half-time person that's very quality half-time person cuz they usually if they're going to want a full workload but if we can have two properties where we need a half employee they can do a half split somehow between those two properties or we have floaters you know having four properties that with our maintenance guys that may that fill in at different properties so we can underwrite our um, payroll lower than most people could in that area.
0: So as you're trying to break into the multifamily space, you know what was kind of like the biggest hurdle that you had to face in order to break in?
1: Probably the first one is fear of being able to do it, knowing that it's something that's possible. And, and I come from a healthcare background, so I, like I said earlier, no real estate background at all. I was a physical therapist and just even through school didn't have a finance class or economics or real estate class. So just the, you know, the mindset that that was something that wasn't achievable, but through finding a mentorship program that would educate me and and also have coaches and uh, team members that would kind of guide you along and help work through the program with you through this process, was able to overcome that fear. And then the actual, it's getting an opportunity to make an offer on something, getting in front of brokers, you know, having them take you serious. Cause I'm sure they have a lot of tire kickers that just come in and Think they're going to do it, or you know, somebody that doesn't may not know the uh, the process, and, and that are just calling them up out of the blue, asking questions, and may not quite understand. You think it works more like a single family setting, but if, I've heard it said by a lot of people that multifamily is a relationship business, and so having those, getting those relationships built to benefit because we now brokers will call with off market deals, whereas before, as you know, trying to get somebody to return a call was a challenge five years ago, but now. That's not a problem. We have uh, opportunities that are presented to us sometimes before other people see
0: them. And so as you're making offers on different opportunities that become available, what are some of the different ways that you and your team have been able to differentiate yourselves and make your offers that much more stronger Mm -hmm. than the other offers out there?
1: I think it's having a history of closing that we close on time and, and you know did what we said we we're gonna do. We you know, not making reasonable, unreasonable uh, retrades. We've had small things pop up that were found during due diligence might be a $25 or 50000 dollars problem And on a three million up to a $16 million deal. Could we maybe have, would it be okay to go and ask? Probably legally, yes. But you know, are we gonna bug the broker and say, hey, we, we you didn't tell us about this sewer line that wasn't working that may cost us ten twenty thousand dollars 20000 dollars we want a discount. I mean, that's one of those things that we're going to eat it up to us. If we found out the roofs were horrible and we couldn't get on them, we may come in and try to do something. But if it's several hundred thousand dollars, but if it's something smaller, we're just going to, we're going to eat it and not, not bog down the process of getting closed. So having some flexibility like that. But I think the big thing is closing, following through with what we say we're going to do and doing our best to close on time and being able to raise the capital when we said we
0: were. And so once you close the actual property itself, and then you're now going to implement your business strategy, how has that been like, and have you guys had any challenges as you're trying to stabilize the property?
1: I mean, I think you need to expect something to go wrong. You know, there's a lot of moving parts when you're buying an apartment, you're dealing with hundreds of people that live there, multiple employees, depending on the size of the property that that are running the property, and nobody's going to care as much as you do. So there have been challenges, but, you know, we try to come in and get our CapEx stuff rolling within a day or two of taking over to get something you know happening. And then one of our properties, we had a manager that moved in unqualified tenants because she was trying to catch the leasing bonus and the occupancy bonus. And uh she was caught, but she'd already had about eight people that a big part of them that had she had evicted at another property. So she shouldn't have been leasing, but she somehow got their paperwork approved. And uh, so that was right before COVID. So, you know. Texas is pretty easy to evict someone, but with a TDC eviction moratorium has made it more challenging. So we had a handful of tenants that were underqualified to be living on our property and were are not paying rent. So it caused some struggles and we've had to replace a property management company more than once. And it's just a tough uh, decision to make because it's not easy to replace a property management company that had allowed that those unqualified tenants to come in We're not doing enough from a corporate level to come help us get kind of rectify the problem. So I took over as project manager because we had one ready unit out of all, all of our vacants. And you know, we'd started getting traffic, trying to get people to move in. And I could look on the available units and we only had one unit ready to move in. So and, you know, I kept telling you, you need to get this. So I started going out to our properties three or four days a week to come out there and got made a list of all the vacants. I walked them and I ranked them from easiest to most challenging to bring back online and I said, let's start at the easy one. Let's just start ticking them off so we can get these ready and get people moved into them and got a list. And uh, we ended up having to bring a contractor in because our on site guys couldn't get them uh, made ready fast enough. So, so that property had a, a very large turnaround in occupancy and it, it's very close to being stabilized, should be in May as we're coming along. So that was, I don't want to go through it again, but a big learning curve on how to. We want to work on the business, not in the business. But I had to at that point had to get in the business and go out there. And they were not. You know, it's it's a two little over two hour drive from my house to the properties. And sometimes I would go back and forth. But it, you know, several nights I stayed the night out there. Just I knew I still needed to do something the next day.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post production ourselves. Now we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post production for us. Because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. Serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, especially when Mm -hmm. you're trying to stabilize it. And so do you have any, I guess, more advice on as you're running into these types of issues, you said that you had to go in every week, two to three times every week to go... Two to three days um, every week to really stabilize and to really make sure that the properties were getting ready and being able to turn over um, quickly enough. So, do you have any other advice in terms of making sure that you know the project is going as planned? You're getting in the right qualified tenants in place.
1: Yes, ask your regional. Make sure they're doing not chart audits, the lease audits on a regular basis. You know what are they doing to make sure that the on-site manager is leasing to qualified tenant because. Ideally, you don't want to be evicting people. It's going to happen occasionally when you get that many people, but it still costs money. It's it and usually if you're evicting somebody, they're not going to leave the property in a good condition. You know, make sure you're doing that, and then um, watch your set a uh, floor when your occupancy hits a certain. If it's ninety percent, make sure there's a plan. Or do we need to start? Ramping, or if it's eighty nine percent, you know, do we need to start ramping up marketing? Or you know, let's look at what. Marketing we are doing and where our traffic's coming from is it coming from social media or walk-ins or people seeing flags or flyers somewhere? Do you need to step up and do in a smaller community, smaller markets like we're at? Radio ads are a possibility. That it's not as expensive like in a major market like DFW, and DFW is so big. I don't think advertising in a one apartment complex is worth the um, the area that you're hitting with a radio station in you know in LA like where you guys are from. Not, for a smaller one. So, what is going to something should trigger that, and then watching your vacant units, you know, make sure that they're getting a reasonable number of those made ready each month, and as they're coming online, and look at vacants that uh, property management software should have a number of days a, a unit's been vacant, and checking those. If those numbers are getting out there more than a month, why is that unit still vacant, and why hasn't been turned? What's why is this one unit not being leased? Is something to fall? You know, it's get. Five or seven KPI key performance indicators that you can check on a, at least a weekly basis and, and set floors on them. If the numbers drops below it, start get a hold of your regional and ask why these numbers are dropping.
0: Oh, those are really great tips. Thank you so much for sharing, Nick. You bet. So currently you have four properties under your belt right now from the multifamily space. So what's next for you, Nick? And we're
1: starting to look you know, more in different markets, uh, look at newer properties, uh, my newest now is mid '80s. You know, some with the cap rates compressing. Some that uh, you're not paying a whole lot more for a, a two, something built in the 2000s or you know '90s over the '70s. You know, it's kind of stepping up with sort of asphalt parking. You have concrete parking instead sort of cast iron sewer lines. You have PVC which lasts longer. You may ha- it'll have pitched roofs or you know individual HVAC and individual hot waters on the newer properties. You're just there's no um, two-pipe chillers. Some of those big ticket items, you know, really, once you get into a newer property, your only really big thing is your roof because AC units are individual. So if those break, you're looking at a you know, three, five, maybe $8,000 at the most, and they're, they're going to be in spread out versus a big chiller on a property is seventy to to $100,000. And when you have that, it's I mean, the two-pipe chiller, either the whole property has air conditioning or has heat. So once you switch those in the spring and fall, just like here in Texas, everybody has switched to air conditioning. But we had a third, you know, we got into the 30s uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night. So all those properties that have already switched to air conditioning, those tenants didn't have heat for those couple of cold nights we had. And, and you know, it's just so you're not going to be able to charge as much as a place that has individual HVAC systems. So mostly just looking at new stuff. And, and I've been coaching within the mentoring program that I work for. So you know, just helping other students achieve what I've been able to do. You kind of paying it forward. Has been uh, rewarding. It's nice because if you would have asked me five and a half years ago, could I, would this succeed? I, I would have probably would have said no. But, and now I'm living proof to go from no real estate experience to, to be owning four properties.
0: And so, as you set out to on your real estate journey and back then, what kind of vision did you have for yourself to get to where <laughs> you are today?
1: Well, my initial vision was just to get all my retirement out of the stock market, to have it it's something that was growing more and then I understood more but and having one deal and seeing what uh, kind of cash flow it can produce I started realizing I can do just a few more deals a handful more deals and I, it can replace my income as a physical therapist which yeah I'm busy as a apartment investor but it's cyclical so when we have downtimes like it, it allows more passive income and if I chose to move and just a, into a passive role and just be a, a limited partner, or something along those lines. I don't have to show up every day to get paid. Whereas as a PT, if I didn't go in, I've been contract for several years. I say contract physical therapist. The um, if I don't work, I don't get paid. There's, but at least with this, there's still cash flow coming in when I can go on a vacation, or if I was, or I just didn't want to work one day. It creates a lot more freedom. Plus, it I think it's an opportunity to to introduce a generational wealth wealth top strategy to my family, to my children, that so they can. Learn from it and grow and and you know real estates should almost always appreciate, and there's tax savings on it too. tax uh, benefits.
0: And so what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started?
1: If you could if I knew now and could go back to when I started, I would have gone f- full force in. I would have probably lived in a box if I needed to for a year and bought as many units as I could right out of the box because my first property, we paid thirty-seven thousand a door in Abilene in uh, 2018. Now we're buying stuff in Abilene in the the mid-seventies a door. And you know, properties that I saw in DFW that were selling probably for forty or fifty thousand a door are now selling ninety to one hundred and ten a door for C C class properties. Which you know, I know in California that does those properties have doubled in value in five years, four or five years. So you know, definitely jumped in more with that. Uh, more quickly and in more force with everything I had, which I pretty much did. I mean, we've pulled everything we have out of any other retirement. And it's all some of it's another we're in I'm in six other properties passively, uh, through other investors and then my four. So it's, uh, we're more than one state, more than one city. So I would have just if rewind, I would have started earlier too. If I'd have started you know, I was another 10 years or I would have done it actually I would have gone to school for real estate now because I'm actually pretty introverted. But now with real estate I it just opens me up and I can talk. We've gone from my wife is more the extrovert at parties. I'm like, let's time to go home. I'm ready to go or church. She's staying there talking and I'm like, we're ready to go. But now with real estate, she, she'll she come to me and say, Hey, when are we going? <laughs> so it's really opened me up. I, so I think I've found something that I like doing because I can sit and talk about it for, for hours.
0: And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business?
1: I think the ability to get get back up more times you get knocked down, because you're gonna more deals are not gonna work out, pencil out than do. You, you know, look at a lot of lot of deals that don't pencil out, you're gonna make offers that you don't get accepted or you may even get in a best and final situation and get outbid, but not letting that discourage you. And you know, but and at the same time sticking to your principles of underwriting, because you you can, you know, if you get in a best and final and they're saying, Oh, if you come up, say a hundred grand. Or you're going to win this, but if your numbers say it won't work now on a big deal, a hundred grand's not going to move your needle a whole lot, but you know, not going past what you've said as your standard in your um, underwriting and, and keeping your returns where they are. And, um, and just being transparent, like that property we we're saying earlier that had challenges, we've been still sending our newsletters out. We, it's not fun to write a newsletter and say that your occupancy has dropped well below what you want it to be, but being transparent, saying this is what's going on. Here's our steps we're doing it to make it better, and following through on those. You know, it's it, it is a reputation business, and it's flattering to have uh, some investors that have invested in multiple deals of ours, and I think that goes a long way of saying that th- they've been happy. You know, and most people that have done it say there's going to be challenges in a deal. It's just you got to handle them, and that's kind of that. Just stand back up more times than you get knocked back down, which mm-hmm. is being successful in any industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, like it, absolutely. Everything that you said was very true, you know, especially when the ability to be able to pick yourself back up when things are going down and, you know, especially in the space, you're going to hear a lot more no's than you're going to see a yes. And so be able to keep moving forward and just pushing through, I think uh, is very, very important.
1: Sure. So, I mean, you're, you know, initially you're not going to get much uh, response back to your phone calls and your emails. But you know, in a nice way, just being persistent, but you, know, you got to find that fine line of being persistent, but not being annoying and trying to talk with the brokers and get in front of them and, and introductions. If you go to a meetup or, you know, here in Dallas, I'm I'm lucky to be close to Dallas that we can go to some real estate events that happen and, you know, just trying to at least go up and talk to those guys for a few minutes. And early on, they, and they've never been rude, but they're, they're perfect sense. They're going to talk to the people that have bought deals from them and are likely to buy deals and own deals that they may get to list and sell for them in the future. So, but just being, you know, finding that right amount of persistence that, that'll get you in front of them. And then, you know, even trying to find a partner within the business, because, you know, in your first deal going into 100 units, you will need somebody that, that knows the broker, has the ability to raise funds fannie or freddie loan you have to have somebody that's on your team that has done a fannie or freddie loan in the past just so you have that mark so you know you even got to find that person as a potential partner um, when you're going forward who's going to partner with you
0: no absolutely thank you so much for sharing nick and thank you so much for sharing your journey in real estate and everything that uh you know that you've been through and experience up till today so i really appreciate that
1: Oh, you bet. I'm enjoyed. Thanks for having me on. I, I look forward to it. anytime you guys have any questions, y'all can reach out and get back with me. I'd love to talk with y'all again.
0: Awesome. And Nick, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and get in touch with you, where can they go?
1: They can email me at Nick, N I C, that's Nick with, without a K, Nick at thrive multifamily.com, T H R I V E, multifamily.com. And I will reply back with my calendar link. I should know that my calendar link, but I don't know the top of my head.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate everything that you shared today.
1: You bet, Eileen. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys taking time to, to visit with me and talk to me. And, and I wish you success in the future.
0: Thank you. You too, Nick.
1: All right. Great. Have a nice day.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We'd really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to BonifestCapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.